Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Hey, buddy, look out. Hey, buddy, look out. <laughs> Which is, of course, American English for Achtung, Achtung. Um, 80 years ago, this very week, the FBI uncovered a plot to overthrow the US government and establish a fascist dictatorship. I kid you not. Um, a right-wing group called the Christian Front planned the attempted coup and 17 of their leaders were arrested because history doesn't repeat. It rhymes, doesn't it, James Holland? How wow. are you this morning, Jim? Yeah, no, I'm not too bad. How about you? Oh, all right. Yeah, you know. Um, how, how did you pass your time over the weekend? Um, uh, oh, how did I pass my time over the weekend? Um, um, b- building a diorama of Bastogne. Oh, Bastogne. yeah. No, I, I've got to say, that that, that is looking um, zer toll, I have to say. Well, it's, yeah. Oh, and you've been on Duolingo learning German, <laughs> haven't you? <laughs> how can you tell? <laughs> oh, uh, uh, ich kenne nicht, aber du hast sehr gut skills mit das Deutsch. <laughs> I do know how to say the ducks are eating the flies, which is great. Go on. Obviously very useful. Uh, Go on. Die Enten uh, frissen um, sie fliegen. Yeah, we need to work on the accent. <laughs> yeah, die Enten frissen die fliegen. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, that is um, much, much better. But, but um, imagine my delight when the word Hoch came up the other day. Oh, wonderful. It, what does this hoch. stand for? Hi, hands high, hand hoch. Was it connected with handy? In no, this? it wasn't, sadly. But I was thinking, I mean, ah, not, there not... it is. And also schwer was very good as well, which of schwer, course, sehr, for me, is good. just, a, you know, the schwer Panzerabteilung. Which is a heavy yeah, tank time, yeah, yeah. You know, that, that's, schwer that's... point, the heavy point, the point of maximum pressure. Yeah, Absolutely. So, so no problem with that. I, I could skip over that bit. I, I knew what schwer meant and I knew what hoch meant. Well, that's good. I'm not very that, good on my, on my, my CHs, though, and my ich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you really need, you do but need to... do you to, care? You I need mean, to, I just need to read it. Well, I, I do. I care, because the fun of German is the noise it makes for me. <laughs> <laughs> just as the fun of French is the, be- you know, the, the mellifluous sound of yes. French. Although there's, you do get these sort of mellifluous German accents as well. It's very, you know, rather than the sort of noisy, clackety thing that I think we've inherited from war films. Yes, you know what I mean. that is true. There's also, I mean, Italian is also very mellifluous as well, and, and, oh, and it has yeah. these wonderful kind of uh, amazing um, phrases, which just what's the word? Is it onomatopoeic when they sort of sound like what they ought to. Yes, onomatopoeic, and um, and that's also a joy. But you know, it, I was sort of thinking, okay, I've got, I've just got to crack one language, and I think it's just got to be, it's got to be Deutsch. Well, in which case, if you're doing it, I will try and find carve out some time to compete with you. Anyway, um, welcome. Welcome, everybody, to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. As you know, on this podcast, we very rarely stray from our defined period because it's just not interesting. Um, However, we occasionally nervously tiptoe into post-war reconstruction or, you know, we mentioned the Berlin Wall and we come over all giddy and have to withdraw to our our defined defensive position, Um, the high ground around the Second World War. But um, the thing is... um, this last week, um, James, we've both watched the situation in the US, um, watch it develop and play itself out. And there was a fascinating piece in the New York Times by the um, author and historian Tim Snyder, which made an overt comparison between uh, Trump and his supporters and the behaviour of, of lots of different fascists throughout history. And I thought it was a really, really, a really, really interesting piece. Yeah. And it's, I mean, to be honest, it's a drum Snyder's been banging for a while because he yes. wrote a book called Towards Unfreedom a couple of years ago about the, you know, I mean, actually about Putin and Putin's uh, fascist philosophical inheritance that 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 he's taken on board in Russia, and then the the, the similarities with Trumpism, such as Trumpism exists, of course, because that's one of the interesting things about Trump, I think. Is, you know, he got into it strikes me that five years ago he sort of got into this for kind of shits and giggles and then all sorts of people attach themselves to him. And he ends up because he's not a politician and he's not much, doesn't seem much interested in the Constitution or any of that stuff. He's ended up in this peculiar place with with an attempt with a putsch. It was a putsch on an attempted putsch on Wednesday rather than a coup, I think. Yeah, it very was very much was like Munich. You know, we'll march on yeah. something vaguely in an attempt to do something. Yes. 
And we haven't really thought about after that. Is it is how it appeared to me? Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. I mean, I just looked at that and I just thought, you know, I mean, to use an American phrase, I mean, it was totally foobar, wasn't it? I mean, the whole thing. I mean, it was really extraordinary. And but but I think what really struck me seeing all that 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 footage and and all those images of people sort of screeching around is that actually most of them were kind of they looked like thirty somethings rather than twenty somethings for the, for the majority. Uh, and the second thing was that, you know, it just struck me that that is exactly what Hitler was saying in the early 1930s and exactly what Nazi thugs were doing in the early 1930s. Uh, and and the, and the source of the people that were, were doing the thuggery was pretty much the same as well in terms of kind of the social strata and all the rest of it. So I thought that those parallels are really, really interesting. Then then it sort of makes you sort of think about, it does make you think about Trump. I mean, I think the interesting about Trump is is that, you know, He's such a sociopath. He's such an egomaniac that that he has to win at all times. And and I, you know, so the idea that that he didn't win is you know because that would make him a loser, and other people are losers, and he's a winner. It's something that is just absolutely unconscionable. So therefore, there has to be another reason why he didn't win, and that is because dark corner benevolent powers were kind of you know corrupt powers got in the way and and, and stole it from him. And that's the only reason. The, the 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 really worrying thing is is that so many people believe these lies, and of course the the reason is is that they're believing what they want to hear because what Trump is spouting is conforming to their own kind of worldview, which is generally pretty narrow, but is 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 angry and resentful, and and they're finding they're trying to find sort of you know people to blame and reasons for it for for their own disenfranchisement and and dissatisfaction and kind of you know the mire that they personally find themselves in. Um, but I do think it's it's astonishing. You know, you look at, you know, but there is that famous case where, where there is that lawyer, isn't it, who, who grills Hitler and I think about 1932, 31, 1932, and says, you know, were you inciting kind of violence? And he goes, no, 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 not at all. And he goes, goes but you, did you not say this? And did that not kind of get your, your thugs out onto the streets? He goes, no, I wasn't saying that at all. I was just saying that, you know, we've got to fight for our rights and all this kind of stuff. And and the other guy's sort of going, yeah, but that's really martial talk. I mean, do you not think with someone of your influence that might not be seen as that? And he's going, no, 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 of course. And it's exactly the same thing as Trump. I mean, you know, I was really struck by that. And then we saw the, um, the Tim, we read the, the Timothy Snyder piece. And I just thought, wow. You know, absolutely. I thought I thought he was absolutely on the money. Well, the thing is, I mean, after all, that what goes what goes wrong for Germany after Munich is that the judge doesn't take the putsch seriously. Is a nationalist thinks thinks um, you know Hitler's uh, not that bad really, and and goes soft on him. And and that you that I suppose is because after all, you know, the defence of liberal democracy doesn't have to be liberal in itself, so to speak. Does it? If you're, if you're, if what you're trying to do is defend a liberal democracy, then s- sedition, treachery, and, and treason—you throw away the key for those people, surely? Mm. Because, because the, you know, democracy. I mean, I think what's what's been really interesting about—I mean, the last four years—is is for a very long time the constitution, the American constitution, was hailed as sort of basically perfect governmental system with checks and balances built in, and that no one part of it uh, uh, over overpower the other parts. Blah blah blah. And, you know, and the fact that the, the, the executive is separate from the legislature, is separate from the judiciary and all that is to is to make sure you don't have the whole thing go off the rails. But that obviously only works if everyone agrees that it works. Yes. And Trump doesn't agree. Trump doesn't agree that it works. And it's suddenly suddenly this thing that was has been held up as the most robust and sensible system for government. It, if you don't abide by the rules, it falls over. And, you know, after all. And I really don't like, uh, you know, I think you need to look for the differences between now and the 30s as much as you need to look for the similarities. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I'm not keen on the comparison, but the fact is, is Hitler didn't think the system uh, worked, didn't so didn't abide by its rules. And that and that's how he got what he wanted. And that's the that's a similarity. I mean, I think that I was I was watching that um, Berlin 45 thing that was on the BBC um, recently. It's a German documentary. It's really, really good about the, the last two months of the war in Berlin, what it was like there and what the war was like there. And there's a little bit of. There's oh, a little I'd like bit to see these, that. That sounds great. It's really, really good. And the, uh, and it's lots of German diaries. And it's basically. You know, it, it's the it's start. I think it starts in January '45, and it's people going, "Oh, the war's getting a bit close now," um, yeah. but don't worry, the the Wunderwaffen will save us. Blah blah blah. 
and and you know so women working in factories and also high up Nazis and all those sort of people and 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 Russians. But the thing that really struck me, um, watching it, that compares to the that that made me think of everything that's been going on. These Russian soldiers saying when we got to Germany, we were even more furious that they invaded us because we'd break, we'd get to these villages and they had electricity, they had toilets, they had luxury goods, they lived the good life. What right. could they possibly want from us? Yeah. Why had they come to us? Because they lived rich, comfortable lives. And I think very often when you see these American people, the, these American fascists, because that's what they are, kicking off, what on earth have you got to be upset about? What on earth do you lack? And and you can see how this, that it, it's, it's... Yeah, try and, being and in I, Syria. I think, you know, you want to say, don't you? Well, or where, or wherever. Yeah. You know, and it's it's this this idea that America is America is somehow hard done by in the world is sort of and its citizens, especially and like you say, especially people in their thirties. You know, you've got these idiots wearing their job um, badges, ID badges to this insurrection, right? They're wearing, you know, they're that they've got jobs. What's the what's the problem? You know what I mean. It, 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 but what, also what there is this there, there is also this sort of you know you know what a problem with this country is it's gone to the dogs, and and you know you start talking like that and, and and before you know where you are you're sort of starting to kind of think it really has gone to the dogs when actually it hasn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's yes, it's dead easy, isn't it? But but after all, I mean, what 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 happens is these is is that. They then do this and suddenly that's what they, you know, we've seen, we've seen it now, what these people are like and what they want. They've done it in public and uh, uh, haven't they? And that, yeah. and that, that very often changes everything because it doesn't, it, it doesn't bear any scrutiny what they're saying at all. And the fact that you've got, you fact that you, you, you have got guys in there with cable ties looking to, looking to um, kidnap and, her, you know, legislators. Well, that, well, okay, right, then you're not, <laughs> you're not interested in democracy at all. No, um, absolutely uh, not. I mean, the other thing where, where, where there is absolutely, you know, where the differences are absolutely huge is that, that Hitler is the leader of this movement in the 1930s and he is absolutely ideolo- ideologically driven and he is absolutely, you know, de Fuhrer. I mean, you know, he really, really is. Whereas Trump isn't. Trump is just a selfish, spoilt person who's had too much money, has no compassion and is entirely self-interested. And has become and has become the kind of the the the, the sort of totemistic figure in in, in this rise of, in in resentment of this certain type of American person. He's not there, you know. He's not going to lead them, and and he shafted them the moment he was kind of you know a sort of gun was put to his yeah. head. Yes, he's not. He's the focus, not the locus of the thing. And right, um, exactly. Uh, uh, and you know, the art of the deal isn't mind camp. You know, uh, uh, no, there, no, there, is, there is no there is no manifesto. There is no lifetimes political campaigning, which, you know, again, takes me to my original point with five years ago when he first got into this. It's because it's because he he fancied a go. Um, his TV show had been cancelled um, because uh, he's an egomaniac. And, you know, he's what an egomaniac be and he didn't and he and he was upset by Obama taking the piss out of him. And, you, and, and here you are. But that also just shows how fragile these how fragile democracy is and, and how it relies on everyone abiding by the rules. You know, I think where the problem the problem with democracy is, is there is a certain, you know, you might whinge about the people you're voting for. You might think, oh, he's a corrupt bastard because he's he's got brown envelope, which is, you know, from his MP's expenses or, you know, he's done something a little bit underhand, you know, with some, I don't know, chicken farmer in Arizona or something. But 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 what you you know so you might have sort of concerns about certain individuals or whatever. But you you trust the system, you trust that your vote is 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 a valid vote and is going to be counted respectfully and truthfully. And when you start undermining that, that is when problems come in because so democracy only works if you trust the system. And the moment you start kind of casting doubt on that, the whole thing starts to sort of crumble very very quickly. And that's the problem. And that is why democracy only works in certain societies where you're liberal enough, where you are ready for that kind of level. You know, where you are, where you are able to trust the system. You know, if if fundamentally you can't trust that system, democracy is never going to work. Which is why sort of shoving democracy into a kind of, you know, uh, uh, into into the Middle East or North Africa or whatever, when there's been a massive dictator for the last 30 years, doesn't work. It's a work. tricky business. Is it, it's well, a it's tricky, a tricky business. business. Let's put it that way. Because otherwise you end up in this thing of like, 
uh, you can end up going, well, you know, those kind of societies, they can never cope with de- democracy. And, and you, you, you know, you can end up you can end up drawing the wrong conclusions there, too. I mean, I mean, I thought. Well, I'm not saying really that. Is, I'm just saying, I'm no, 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 saying that there is, no, a, there is a level of trust in the system yeah, yeah. that needs to be put yeah, yeah. in place before it will yeah. work. And if there isn't yeah. that trust. You can't. And, you know, in the case of sort of Iraq in 2003, you have this vacuum which is not being sufficiently filled, effectively filled, yeah. to enable well, democracy to then work properly. But that, but, but that, after all, is an example of people not remembering their history. And the American government forgot that how they how they destroyed, you know, because they were keen on making the parallel between Saddam Hussein and Adolf Hitler and how they dealt... They'd forgotten that how they dealt with Adolf Hitler was by destroying Germany, killing one in four males in Germany or whatever it was between born between 1930 and 1933, right? Or, or when it, 1923 and destroying all of its cities, destroying its army, imposing an army occupation that essentially still hasn't left yet. They forgot that they forgot that that's what they did in Germany. Yes, they forgot. They thought, oh, we'll knock him over and we'll and, and everyone will be grateful and then we'll just we'll just carry yes. on and create. And they back. did do reconstruction. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and they did massive reconstruction. I mean, I thought the other thing the other thing was really interesting and sort of, you know, to see Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, have you watched that? No. The, Schwar- the Arnie the Arnie video, right? So he starts off, and a lot of people are upset by this because he says, "I'm I'm Austrian, and in Austria we had a thing called Kristallnacht," and he talks about that. And he says, "We've had our own Kristallnacht." So some people are going, "Oh, I'm not happy about that because he's because." He's brought the he's brought Kristallnacht into it, and this wasn't like Kristallnacht. He says we've had our own day of the broken glass in the capital, right at the capital, and then he talks about being Austrian. He says I was born in 1947 in Austria after the war, and he's talked about this before. He talks about growing up in Austria, about how he li- he grew up amongst losers, men who'd given their lives to a thing that had lost yep. to Nazism, and that, that it was a country full of losers and full of people who'd been broken by the experience. Of giving of giving their lives to to something that had failed, but in this video he talks about my dad would come home drunk twice a week and beat us all up because of the trauma of having the things he'd done for a thing that the, the terrible things he'd done in the name of a thing that had failed, and and he says and I didn't judge my dad for that because our neighbour did it too and his neighbour and his neighbour, and he talks about. And then he talks about, you know, classical American liberal ideals of democracy and why that's so important and all the and sort of the stuff we've been talking about that relies on everyone agreeing and trusting on in that working and everyone by abiding by the rules, basically. But what he was talking about, the, the, the idea that Austria is a is a country in PTSD for the rest of the 40s and the 50s and the 60s. And and obviously Germany, too, is absolutely fascinating. Yeah, isn't it? And something that. And something that, you know, we've touched on after all, Hans mm. Frank, you know, the stuff we talked to Philippe about on earlier podcasts, talking about the, the legacy of, the, of, you know, the Nazi brass's children, but of ordinary Germans too. And we, and we talked to Nora, who wrote Heimat yes, about Nora Krug. her family, mm. Nora Krug, about her family and how they, you know, how basically they digest it by making up stories about themselves in the 30s, how nice they'd been to Jews after all, and which are all untrue. And then, and then having to digest the fact that they live next to a, next door to an American airbase after the war. That that's basically an army of occupation that defeated their the thing that they the state that they'd been part of or been been acquiescent to. And I think that thing, the way Arnie talked about that, is, and just and you just touched on it. You think, gosh, what an enormous subject. What a gigantic mm. subject that it must be. Because, you know, we talk about a lot of this Second World War stuff with British veterans. And we hear it again and again where people say, I wish my gran- I'd talk to my grandpa more about this. I wish I'd asked my dad. And I think PTSD is a big reason people of that generation didn't talk about stuff. It's too horrible. So what you do, you'd bottle it away and yep. you'd, you'd try and forget it to park it, to never go back to it. And, you know, you've talked about Stanley Christopherson going away with, with, with a wine crate and getting himself drunk, clearly tied up with it. Yep. So that, and that's the PTSD well, of, but that's the PTSD of the victors, right? Imagine that the country, a country that lost, that sold, that gave itself to this, uh, this, uh, this ideology and then loses. What's that like? Yeah. I mean, I've not got much sympathy for it, but what's that like yeah, as, a, as an inheritance? Well, I yeah. mean, do, don't you remember me telling you that story about that guy I went to um, interview southeast of Leipzig? And, and, you know, he kept breaking down in tears on me. And at the end of it, he told me he never told anyone in what he just told me. You know, he told me his wartime career. And, and he'd bottled that up for 
70 years and I just and I remember being so struck by how traumatic that must have been you know because even if you do if, if you're the victor and you you have PTSD at least you're patted on the back at least you can sort of march down Whitehall with your beret on and your flag on Armistice Day you know at least everyone kind of respects you and thinks you're a hero but in Germany you're expected to think that what you did which was effectively exactly the same fighting for your family fighting for your mates fighting for your home um potentially sacrificing your life and limb is is something to be ashamed about and and something to be kind of forgotten and something that was disgusting and appalling and 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 shameful i mean how do, how do you digest that and of course lots and lots of people definitely did know about the holocaust and all the rest of it but but if you're 19 in 1945 and you're recruit you know you're called up and all the rest of it and you come from some backwards in southeast germany and you've suddenly been sent to the front in italy do you really know about all that stuff i mean well, aren't, aren't, been, you, aren't you doing well, what I you're think, doing for just just the same reason well yeah else? but you're yeah but you're fighting judeo bolshevismus because you've been told it's the evil incarnate and that and the west in the grip of the jewish powers and all that you know you if you're 19 in 1945 that's the only that's the only transmission that's been directed at you whether yes. you how much the extent to which you've taken it in the extent to which you've heard it i don't know and, then, and again this i mean the thi- i mean what's really interesting about a, a lot of the thoughts thrown up by the last week or so or 10 days of american american politics is it's tying together or a lot of the things we've talked about because that conversation we had with wait i'm still thinking about the conversation we had yes. with wait waitman born um, before christmas this idea of camaraderie of of peer pressure and and as a mo- as a motivating thing for soldiers and then you apply it to terrible things that happen just as much as you apply it to the again this is the exactly what we're talking about right now that 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 you know that that how do you how do you plug that into what's going on now because after all one of Waitman's points is I I'm a I was a soldier really recently this is what armies are like as far as I can tell for the last 2000 years this is years this is what armies have always been like with the personalities that get fed into them and the the relationships the authority relationships that build up inside them and uh you know if you apply that to now what I mean it's just it, it I'm not got any answers here. It's just so many questions are being thrown up all the time. Well, no, I'm just I, I but I, what I'm also struck though is is this from the Timothy Snyder piece was about this sort of degradation of truth and how that and, and what has come out of the whole kind of Trump four years and what has come out of you know which has been kind of accelerated since the election. This idea that that what you what what is previously known to be a truth is not a truth and you know he was saying you know post-truth is pre-fascism and trump has been our post-truth president when we give up on truth we concede power to those with the wealth and charisma to create spectacle in its place yeah absolutely and it has been I, ever thus i mean you know yeah 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 this nothing is, new. i mean the, i mean the thing is i mean the, i mean the thing is this is this is that this is the point is that there's you don't need to compare him to the 1930s to make this point you can you compare him to uh, you know uh, the, the roman republic you can compare him to any point in history where basically um lies lies take over and after all you tell a big you tell a big lie and it's sort of become it simply becomes an article of faith can't argue with it truthfully because it's an article of faith and it lifts off away from away from the away from the truth verse if you want um and 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 QAnon people, they believe that, and it's all—it's at face value, complete bollocks. But they believe it, and they're acting on it. But and it's the, the fa- same with an anti-vaxer, isn't it? And it's the same yeah. with with you know people who think that kind of you know five G was invented by the Nazis as a as a as a secret weapon. I mean, it's just it's it's any conspiracy theory. It's just it's just yeah. But James, bonkers. how else are they going to communicate with the moon? <laughs> <laughs> that is true. But I thought what was really interesting about the Snyder piece was how he's saying that, you know, what Trump has done is he started off with little lies and then sort of then medium lies. Uh, and he starts sort of dripping this 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 idea that that, you know, certain things that seem to be true are not true. And, and if that's if that conforms to your kind of worldview, then you start kind of absorbing that. And then you go for the whopping lie. And in this case, the whopping lie obviously is that the, the the election was the presidential election was fraudulent. But he's pointing out that Hitler does exactly the same thing in the late 1920s and 1930s. You know, he starts off with a number of little lies and then comes up with the big lie, which of course is you know that it's all the fault of the communists and the Jews. Yeah, yeah. And it obviously gets yes, very w- very out of hand. I would recommend uh, uh, Tim Snyder's um, uh, Bloodlands. I mean, if you're if you wanted an extremely dispiriting book about um, the Holocaust. 
Um, it, it's really and the Holodomor actually, which he he, he says you've got to remember that, that that you know you've got the you've got it, it happens in Eastern Europe that both both events and the collapse of the collapse of states that result in the Soviet Union and the um, Nazis Nazis um, uh, uh, invasions and colonization of that part of the world. And he's 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 a very comp- he's a really 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 compelling compelling writer and I, I would I would recommend it norm, enormously he's I mean he's very interesting about post-war when basically in Europe what you what you actually have in Europe is not a set of nation states you have a set of ex-empires yes or the, or the centers of several ex-empires who then realize that because they're not imperiums anymore and and being an empire means you can do what you want you can go somewhere and do what you want impose your law in it you can't do that anymore so what we're all going to have to do is get along with each other and he talks about the EU actually or the Treaty of Rome and then the EC that it's basically the common market it's basically these European states having to go right okay what is a nation state and then what a nation state has to do is define itself in terms of its neighbours rather than invading a big chunk of Africa and taking the taking right. the rubber or whatever from that yeah. part of the other part of the world you know because he says that if you if you see on a map a place called New something that's a colony yes. turn up somewhere and call it New England you're, you're not really interested in what the locals call it, it it's, it's, it's a really it's, yeah New Zealand it's a very very interesting uh, lecture that he does and he, when he talks about that you know that that the, the states of Europe have to figure out what to do once basically because because he says essentially what where Germany crosses the line is by trying to do imperialism in Europe where you know that's you can't do that you right. can do it in Africa and no one will complain you can do it in wherever I mean it ends up all all that ends up happening in Africa so you can do it wherever you like anyway I would recommend him as someone to read he's very well, very stimulating on this I've emailed him a couple of times you know trying to get him to Chalk Valley but also to try and get him on, on this and it's just <laughs> met with stony silence he's, he's, ah, well, he's, he's far too cool like and a, important to us but, yeah, but, yeah. but I, I'm going to keep going because um, you know it would be great to get him on wouldn't it at some point it would it would be fantastic Right, we're going to take a very brief break and then we'll be back some, with some questions and probably some more um, digressions. Meanwhile, the ducks are eating the flies. See in a tick. <laughs> I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, US Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics US, brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? (laughs) Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray, and um, uh, James Holland, who can speak German. If you, if what you're interested in is what the ducks are up to in relation to their dietary requirements. Anyway, um, we have a few pieces of news. We always used to start at every composition told to start with Einus Targa, Bleiber Ich Zuhauser. 
one day I was staying at home and he said, if you put <laughs> Ernest Targets, if you put that on, it means it shows you, you know how to match the neuter to yes. the, you know, and so you're in business, basically. Well, the thing that was really throwing me was that when, when it, when it was um, Carl and Max um, Essen, um, the Kartoffeln, um, I was fine on Essen, but then when it was an animal, it was Fressen and so I had to ring up my friend Dorothy and say, who lives in Bonn, and say, why is it that, that when it's an animal, it's suddenly got an F in front rather than an F-R in front rather than that? And she said, well, it's because an Essen is to eat, you know, it's like eat politely with a knife and fork, whereas Fressen is to eat like an animal. But the Germans, you know, you've Germans got the difference between that, gay and, and foreign, which I think is really interesting, that, you know, that, that you go or you travel. Yeah. Um, anyway, anyway. Um, OK, right. so... Anyway, some news. A few, ein, ein, now I know. Uh, a few Stuck von die Neue. Right, a few, bit, a few bits of Zeitung for you. On the pod stream from uh, yesterday, Monday the 11th, there's a new audio book. Um, it's not on the Patreon. It's op- It's uh, an open thing like uh, like we did last year when the uh, during lock- the first lockdown ca- calamity. I'm reading um, George Chatterton's The Wings of Pegasus, which tells the story of the birth and short but eventful life of the British Glider Pilot Regiment. Um, it's it's a classic 1960s war memoir in which he's absolutely right. The chaps are all bloody marvellous. And uh, if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't have won the war. And you, so you need to take a little yeah. bit of it with a pinch of salt. But it's very, very interesting. And um, the, the bananas, a lot of what they got up to. And uh, I was reading it. I was reading reading it, and I and I mentioned to Eleanor. I said, "Oh, I've just read this. I've just read about these blokes." So there's a thing called o- Operation Turkey Buzzard, which you'll know about, James, because that's getting horses to Sicily, horses to North Africa to get to Sicily, because yes. they realize. Well, I wrote about Chatterton in my Sicily book. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. One of my characters. So, so Turkey Buzzard is the is the operation to get the gliders from England to um to North Africa to North Africa uh, to. Uh, and because they really, they've got Wacos that they've shipped there, but they can't get anything heavy. Um, they can't get any six pounders in the Wacos and enough blokes and all this sort of stuff. So they decide to they decide to augment the glider force with horses. So Turkey Buzzard is this Port Reith in um, Cornwall, which is an airfield on a cliff with hills behind it. So if the wind's blowing one way, you're taking off towards the hills. If the wind's blowing the other way, you're going straight out to sea and off the cliff, right? With a Halifax towing you. And I was reading, uh, th- th- what he does is he, he puts accounts in. So he says, this is what we're doing. And then he put, and there's four or five, there's four accounts, I think, in the Turkey Buzzard episode. These lads ditch their glider in the Bay of Biscay and they're at sea in a dinghy for 11 days before they're rescued. Um, they've run out, of, you know, they've run out of water and you know, and one of them, and it's a very, it's a candid account. He says, one of us is completely delirious. He's either trying to, he's either, he's either asleep or he's raving. And uh, a ship goes by 400 yards away. They see another horse from Halifax go over at 500 feet and they fire very lights at it. Nothing happens. No one picks them up. And on the 11th day, they're rescued by fa- Spanish fishermen, right? Agua, agua. They go. It's incredible, right? And I'm, rela- I'm relating this to Eleanor and she goes, oh, yeah, and I won't wear a mask. And you think, yeah, that, you know, these people, that they're, they're, they're doing this and they volunteered for it. And you've got people complaining about wear, having to wear a mask. Anyway. Um, uh, but I remember there was another, there was, a, you know, on that, on, on Turkey Buzzard, there's another guy who crashes, um, gets rescued, go, goes back to England, then takes another one back. Oh, no, they all immediately, they all, they all immediately, they all immediately go back, get in another glider, come back. And there's one bloke who, cla- who crashes Two or three times, is you know, cra- they take off and the, the, they're meant to jettison the undercarriage and they're carrying a spare set of undercarriage for the next flight because they fly to Morocco and then immediately, once the Halifax is refueled, fly on to Tunisia is the plan, right? And it's an, it's 11 hours or something. Um, uh, to, it's a, it's, it's a, an incredibly long yeah, time. Yeah, with three pilots doing an hour on, an hour off, uh, 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 doing hour shifts. They agree who's going to take off, they agree who's going to land, right? And they jettison. Quite dangerous over the Bay of Biscay, anyway. Yeah, exactly. And there's condors. There's condors out look, looking exactly. for trouble. They jet. So one of them. So the idea is when they take off, they jettison the landing gear, so they can fly glide more smoothly. And they pull the cable to jettison the gear, and they've had such a bumpy takeoff that the gear jams in the wing, right? Yeah. Jams itself into the wing, so they fly all the way to Morocco, like basically like. <laughs> 
<laughs> like like this. Yeah, with sort of hard right rudder. Hard right rudder. All the way, with the thing going, crust like that, and they're sweating like pigs, and they're taking turns, and, you know, one of them goes, all right, all right, um, Paddy, it's your turn, and it gets on, oh, Christ, because it's got a dual dual control columns in the horse for exactly this sort of thing. And then he says, and then, and then, and then they get, and then they fly into a storm, and it's, the, the, so they're doing this, they're doing this massive course correction in the storm and everything, and he says, after that, you know, Holding it at the at the ninety degree angle was relatively simple. Once and they and then they get into clear blue sky and everything's all right. And then they and then of course they have to land it when they get to to Sally. I, I think it's Sally in Morocco. I can't remember anyway. Whenever they get when they get to Morocco, they have to land it and of course crash because because the landing gear isn't working. Yeah. The Americans all the airbase all rush out and go, "Gee, you guys have you know never seen anything like that before. Is that a normal landing? You'd be crazy to get one of these things." And then another horse, you know, lands comes in and <laughs> lands perfectly beside them. And they patch the glider up, they fix it, they put the new undercart on, and they take off again. And there's uh, and there's one where they uh, the second time this guy goes round, there's a crew and he he says, "I'm not happy with the crew because they're all bickering in the glider." In the bomber, the crew are all bickering and, the, uh, and everything, and they t- and this Halifax takes off at, uh, uh, to take them to Tunisia. They, they lift off, and black smoke starts coming out of one of the engines. Then black smoke starts coming out of the other engine, and he says, "All right, I'm going to cast off and go back to base." So they cast off, land back at the Moroccan airfield, and this Halifax then goes up, 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 tries to come, tries to come all the way back round, and just goes into the hills, and the crew are lost. And this bloke telling this story plays the trumpet in civilian life. So the next day plays the last post for the Halifax crew. Oh, my God. That's amazing. And says, it? this was the, this was the, you know, this was one of the moments of my life I will never forget. And then, of course, no. they find another plane and they, t- <laughs> they carry on. Yeah. And it, but, but it's something like, I think they were trying to get 36 horses out and they end up with 17 or 19. Yeah, no, it's not. I, mean, I, think know, lo- it's literally- I think they lose seven. But, 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 but it's like... It's the most extraordinary thing. Yes, but but then a whole and then also there's all those Wacos that then turn up from yeah. um, from America and no one puts them together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for ages they're just sat in boxes. Yeah, and the glider crews the, uh, uh, the glider crews figure out how to put them together. I mean, uh, 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 I mean it, it's a it's a really really it's uh, some of the latest stuff. Operation Bigsome. Do you know Do you know about that? That is um, in Lorient, um, uh, the Special Air Service, French Special Air Service, um, uh, backing the resistance. And some of Chatterton's... Oh, it's two SAS, isn't it? Yeah, so some of Chatterton's crews... There's one, a load of people have parachuted in on the, June the 7th. And then in August, yeah. they, send in some, they send in some Wacos with some Jeeps and stuff. And that story... Um, I, I, won't, I, I don't want to spoilerize that at all. That story is absolutely unbelievable. And it's just like, oh, this is one of the other things we got up to. It's absolutely incredible. Anyway, so that is on, that is on normal on our normal Twitter feed and on our normal podcast. Uh, and, and are we doing that every day? Is that's every day. every day. That's every day. Some of the chapters are quite long. So we, I, think we, I think we've broken some of it up because there's a lot of it. Also on our members site, on the Patreon, uh, patreon.com, uh, we have ways, patreon.com, um, uh, we have daily videos. Videos in which James and I take it in turn to to uh, well, analyze. I think is a bit strong to talk about to chew the cut over our favourite Second World War photos. Um, and uh, we've called the series well, a little bit of analysis, isn't it? A little, little bit, bit of analysis, analysis. but you know, uh, it's also like going, "Wow, look at that!" That I don't know. I don't yeah. know that saying, "Wow, look at that," counts as analysis. That's as analysis. <laughs> no, but we're looking at what 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 the picture tells us. Yeah, yeah. What's it's not it's not just a picture of a plane. It's actually this. It's not just a picture of a tank. Yeah. We're sort of like that. What, what was her name, Sister Wendy? That tiny that tiny nun. We're kind of doing that. Um, so we've got <laughs> we've called the sister. We called the series. A picture paints a thousand words. And I started with. But it a, should be called Sister Wendy. It should be called Sister Wendy's War Picks. And I started with <laughs> a flying Cromwell. Um, James then showed us the Wehrmacht looking anything but modern in 1940. Um, they're good fun. And there's a new one every day. That picture of the of the field kitchen in the river is breathtaking, really. Hmm. Um, I was thinking. I, I was. Just, I just remember when. I, I remember when. The, when those are real photographs, and and they arrived in the post. And I remember looking at it and just going, "Whoa, where, hang on a minute, where's this from?" And, and my immediate thought was that you know this was taken in the kind of 1920s or something, or even earlier, and it got mixed up, but not a bit of it. Yeah. I, I mean, I um, you know, June 1940. Yeah. I mean, I I think that might be a diorama because then you know I'd need to buy a lot of horses, but um. 
and a lot of water. And a lot of water. Well, I can do what I've, <laughs> you know, I think I can do water. With, I've got, I've got the means to do water. I, 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 I think. Yeah, I, I think your water is very, very strong. But I think your <laughs> your 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 snowscape is stronger. <laughs> the snowscape is very is looking very good. Anyway, so so um, that's on the Patreon. Patreon.com slash We Have Ways. Um, the link is in our podcast notes, and it's on Twitter. Um, and we're doing a, a new picture every day, and just sort of clipping through them to to, to talk about some um, images that are, I think kind of tell the story because a lot of them do really tell you a story um and last thursday what an amazing night we had watching karina birrell's stunning films of love and war um more than i'm still thinking about that well yeah more than 800 of you joined us for that and i'm sure you'll all agree it was a fascinating experience to watch the film with the granddaughter and uh, of the man and the producer of the film who shot all those roles of film in indian burma during the war um i know that karina was was really grateful for your kind comments she sent she sent me a link to a book called Dear Mum and Dad, which is a Letters Home book. Second World War Letters Mm. Home book, which I think we need to look at. At some point, fit it into all my reading. Stephen Thompson wrote, This evening was a fur-lined, self-propelled, turbocharged, fuel-injected, wall-to-wall, ocean-going belter. In fact, it ranks with the Philippe Sands night. You've done it again, guys. Quite staggering. Sleep will not be easy tonight. I mean, it raised so many questions. And that business of it being in colour and making it feel... More present. Um, oh, it's wonderful. And all those, all that footage. I loved all the footage of Aaron. You know, the Isle of Aran up to Scotland, just on the sort of cusp of the war and stuff. It was amazing. God, the, you know, the, the beheading of the cow and goat took a little bit, but didn't it? That was yes, but but you see that. I think that's really interesting because in his diary he's going because that's the other brilliant thing about it is you have the diaries paired with the film. So so yeah, it, it it really is like it's like he was it's like he was making that documentary but didn't realise it. And the fact that the, the, the film, if you didn't have the diary, after the beheading, there's, there's them all having a beer, isn't it? And they all look jolly. But yeah. he's saying, you know, we had to have a beer because we can't believe what we've seen. So we think, let's be, you know, and immediately that changed. not feeling much like eating. Exactly. That changes the complexion. Because otherwise, if you watched that, you'd think, oh, look at these colonial chaps. Um, you know, delighted at what's going on. Yeah, and, that's a very good point. And in fact, yeah. actually, we get an insight. You get an insight because the diary. We're yeah. actually they're not yeah. grinning and giving it all the thumbs up. They're thinking, "Cool, fucking hell." Um, yeah. You know, uh, uh, and I think that's yeah. really yeah, yeah. that's a, that that's what the that's what that film offers. Um, yeah, that's a really good point. Actually, really good. Point. And Tibet, yeah, you're quite right. You know, t- the, or mm. Nepal. You know, in 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 color in nineteen forty three or whatever. Absolutely amazing. Um, anyway, we've tons of questions, but first, a, a, a charming and fantastic message we've received from Terry Lloyd in Florida. Loved the podcast, just discovered it a couple of months ago. Been downloading the older shows back to front to listen to when doing chores. And one comment by Mr. Holland on uniforms did mm-hmm. cause me a bit of bother. Here we go. I was in the US Air Force and stationed in Suffolk at a now shuttered RAF base, shuttered American RAF base in the 1980s. This put me prime time for the Britcom series, Allo Allo. Fast forward to 2020 and I was working in my garage here in Florida listening to a show. Took a swallow of my morning tea as Mr. Holland mentions he has a German greatcoat in his closet and then he utters the phrase hair flick. Although I have not seen the show in over three decades or even thought of it this century, out came the tea, propelled by a blast from the lungs of a lifelong run and swim. Spent the next 20 minutes of, uh, cleaning the side of my wife's car but it was time well spent. Now, please now now, yeah. now Terry Terry in St. Cloud, Florida says please consider talking about the significance of the humble jerry can especially in providing mobility to the Luftwaffe in the Battle of France et al in 1940. Thank you, best of luck and cheers. Thank you Terry. I mean what a what a fantastic <laughs> thing. Listen carefully yeah. Terry, we will only say this once. Once. <laughs> <laughs> um well the jerry the jerry can is I mean there's an argument that that's the greatest um German innovation of the war, isn't isn't it? Yeah, and it certainly wins some huge brownie points in in 1940 because there's this very famous incident on the morning of the 15th of May 1940, where the um, the, the I suppose it's a sort of uh, core delete of the um of the french army is the first armored division uh, and it's fueling up in the morning what's happened what the what the french do is they have um uh, sort of you know fuel trucks come in uh, and a lot of them have been shot up by stukas the day before so they're a bit short of fuel but what they do do is the, the the fuel wagons come in and they fill up one tank and then they go on to the next tank and then they go on to the next tank whereas what the germans are doing and they're leaguering up as well the previous night of the 14th 15th uh, um, only a matter of a couple of miles away. What they've got is they've got lorries full of jerry cans. So the lorry goes along, hands over lots of jerry cans. OK, here's your lot, here's your lot, here's your lot. And so the Germans can refuel much, much quicker than the French can. Um, and, and now refueled, they then discover where the French are 
come along them and open fire on them as the French are still refueling, and loads of them get 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 blown to pieces. So yes, it is, and it's really interesting because the British have a have a have a, a jerry can. I sort of I think it's a four gallon jerry can, which is known as a flimsy. Uh, and it was estimated that 50% of all the fuel they carried was sort of ended up on the, in the sand on, in North Africa because they were so flimsy. They're very, very thin metal. Uh, and, and that was one of those ones where the British attempt to kind of sort of cut a few corners economically works with the battle dress, doesn't with the flimsy. Um, and by the end of the war, everybody is using jerry cans. And the reason they're called the jerry cans, of course, is because they're invented by the Germans. Yeah. And so, the, so, so it's a British it's the, nickname. It's the Ameri- but I mean, I've, I've, st- I've still got them today. I mean, you know, yeah. I've got them in my garage. It's the American copy, isn't there, that... that, that um is a yeah. slightly different shape but it has it's the three-handled handle that's the that's the the genius idea that you know you yes. can carry on your own or you can carry between two of you um yep. just just clever things like that i mean it, it after all fuel is the fuel if if you're going to do a big armored push fuel is the thing so they've obviously Yep. Whoever whoever's been thinking about that, do we know who do we know who came up with it? What's the? I don't actually. I don't. But the other thing, the other genius thing about it is is the uh, is the aperture, is the opening, because it's got that pressure lock on it. It's got that rubber seal on it. So when it seals, it seals. Because the whole problem with with fuel, of course, is it evaporates. So unless it's absolutely perfectly sealed, it will evaporate. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Again, that's the problem with a, with a traditional kind of screw yeah. top. It just doesn't quite quite work yeah. in the same way. So it's the, so it's absolutely brilliant. It's the Wehrmacht Einheitskanister is its name, the original name of it. Um, I've, I've gone to Wikipedia. I'll admit it. Um, it was first developed in 1937 by the Müller Engineering Firm in Schwelm to design uh, to a design by their chief engineer Vincent Grünvogel. Greenberg. Greenbird. 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 Vincent yeah. Greenbird. Which I now know. I obviously know that now. Yeah, excellent. Um, uh, they d- and they had a similar design in thirty six in the Spanish Civil War. It says um, where the com- De Virgil frischen sie spinner. Frischen die gasoline. De Virgil frischen die gasoline. Yeah. Um, uh, they had a company logo for Ambi Bud Presswerk GmbH. So that that's interesting. The Wehrmacht, had, uh, uh, and I'll admit this is Wikipedia, so you know this might all be completely wrong. The Wehrmacht had specified specified that a soldier should be able to carry either two full containers or four empty ones, which is why the triple handles were fitted. Amazing! I love that. That's I, that's a, I, I didn't know that. That's really good. That's really really good. By thirty nine, they had thousands stockpiled in anticipation of war. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and m- so you know, on the way, because you know, part of, part of the whole thing was to get obviously get to, you know, a part of the the um, case yellow, the, the the blitzkrieg in the in the west was to get to um, the river Meuse in three days and across it in four. And the way that, and part of, part of the the start run had to go through kind of you know had to go from their start points in Germany and had to go through kind of and, and they had to go through Luxembourg. And so they had they stockpiled they had stockpiles of these jerry cans. And so you you you'd whiz along the road and you just sort of stop and grab them, pick and pick them up. Um, and I've had a I've had well you had it you, I think Carl sent it to you as well. So so Carl Stone is the commander of the Sherwood Rangers squadron, which is part of the Royal Yeomanry. So as the Sherwood Rangers Yeomanry still exists, there's one squadron within the Royal Yeomanry. And he's in charge of that. He's, he's the top man. He's the commanding officer. He wrote to us both and said, the high resolution photo episode with you and Al is great stuff. Well, thank you, Carl. Without going into brag mode, myself and a few friends have been in battle on armour. And I have been, and so have a few good, a few of my recce friends, been to Le Hamel a few times, which is where the casement is that we were talking about, that 77mm casement. And the idea was that Sergeant Palmer from the Essex Yeomanry, with his 25 pounder of sexton, got a shot through the aperture. Most of us totally agree that Sergeant Palmer hit the casement from the road mid-morning and the resistance continued from the sanitarium and depth positions. But the inch-perfect slit shot is our dubious question. We think internal blast scabbing and shockwave are the probable reasons for the knockout, plus the factor of German ammo running out, the knowledge and feeling of vehicles to the rear and self-preservation are in my mind more probable for the total ceasefire from the casement. Just thought I'd add my thoughts. Well, I thought that was a really interesting point, and he may well be right. Well, also, I, I mean, the other thing is the casement is at, is Atlantic Wall, so maybe the concrete was badly poured, as we talked about um, a few months ago. Um, maybe, yes. uh, you know, um, maybe the concrete's cheap, and uh, and the thing was built by slave labour, and so therefore not the gleaming Nazi megastructure um, that we might that we might. That, that that Hitler might hope it might be. I mean, I think that that you need to think about that too, don't you? Is that that you know the Atlantic Wall is done on, in a hurry on the cheap by slave labour, a lot of it, and so it might not. It might be that the casement um, fell apart 
Um, uh, well, uh, to be fair, it's still there and it looks pretty solid. I mean, I suppose the, the only thing I'd say, I, I, I take on what Carl's saying completely. Um, and, you know, I bow to his, his greater kind of combat experience. Well, his, his, I don't have any combat experience and he does. Um, but, but so it's not a question of greater combat experience. Um, but what we do know is that Sergeant Palmer was probably only about 175, 100 yards away when he fired the shot. And the first one, he's very specific about it. You can you can listen to him on uh, the Imperial War Museum sound archives. And they've actually, I think they've posted it up on online. So it's one of those ones that's been digitised. And and he said the first shot we fired hit just to the slightly to the, I think it was to the left and just at the kind of you know above the aperture, and the second one went through. And, you know, he might have been exaggerating, but you know a shell could fit through that aperture. There's yeah. no question about yeah. it. It's not so small that you can't yeah. get through that. Yeah. So I don't know. Who knows? But I mean, Palmer it- might be right. Sergeant Palmer might be right. Well, I we'll I, I think it's a it's a it's a mix of everything. Also, I mean, who are yeah. the who are the Germans manning that that? Uh, well, they're men in German uniforms, aren't well, they? Well, exactly, not... and they may think, "Well, oh, this isn't worth it. I'm out of here." You yeah. know, which are, are, after all, that a, Games up. a fair bit of that happened. Okay, um, yeah. uh, should we do? Let's. I mean, we've done as ever. We've run over, but let's do one more. Fifty-five minutes. Know, let's, let's do, do one. Let's question. Do one question. Um, Stephen Nee Davis says, "Hi guys, I've always wondered what happened to the German soldiers' pay after the war." Did they get paid? No, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. How, how are you, you going to pay them? Yeah, we, you don't get. You, I don't think you get paid. You, you know, when you're in a prison war camp, you get. You do get paid if you do work, but but it's like minimum, you know, minimum amount of pay. And of course, you get housed and fed. So, I mean, even though they've got their sold books on them, they've got their pay. They have their pay book, don't they? But they're not going to get. They aren't going to get paid. No, and obviously they're, they're you know they're, they're prisoners of war. They're no longer they're no longer soldiers I mean, they were, anymore. B- b- before the before the war ended, they, German soldiers were well paid, though, weren't they? Relatively speaking, compared to other competents. And uh, yes, but there were all sorts of. Uh, the, it was very very easy to have your pay docked, and almost no one got away with it. So if you so say you were say you were wounded on the on the Eastern Front, and you ended up in a hospital, and then you recovered, when you then reported back, they go. Well, you know, you, you say, okay, well, I'm now fit for service, and they go, well, you need a new, you need a new feld blueser, you know, a new jacket. Um, wh- where is it? And they go, well, I lost it, you know, because um, I was wounded, and you know, the sleeve got cut off, and all the rest of it, and they threw it away. I said, well, you have to pay for that, chum. So you then have to pay for it out of your pay. <laughs> God, quite tight, really. It's coming out your wages. Yeah, so it's sort of, you know, on the one hand, you're getting quite decent pay. On the other hand. You're not really, because it's always been... And supposedly the wives were well looked after and all that sort of thing. But, I mean, after all, Nazi Germany's been run on on the never-never anyway. And... uh, uh, There isn't any cash. There isn't any cash. And if they'd won, there'd have been no cash. Because the the whole thing is about... um, pillage anyway okay um i think you know what we've done we've done our usual thing of sliding left right and center thank you all for listening thank you for your contributions there's loads of stuff coming your way on the we have ways production line for this um uh, ongoing lockdown i'm reading george chatterton's wings of pegasus available free to everyone on the main pod feed plus there's a new video every day on the patreon site um uh and uh, we'll be back live and unleashed on Thursday night at 8.30pm Zulu. Cheerio, the ducks are eating the flies. Auf Wiedersehen. <laughs>